0: Good morning, Renew. My name is McGill, and um, we're so happy that you guys can make it today. And we have two uh, scriptures for today. So the first one is Genesis 1:26 26 to 28. Then God said, let let's us make men in our image, in our likeness, and let rule over them fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, or over all the earth. All over all the creatures that move along the ground. God created men in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subside, Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. And, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And the second one is uh, Acts 17, 26 to 28. From one man he made every nation of men. Then they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them. And he exacted places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him. And find him. True he is not far from each one of us. For him he live and move. And have our gain. As some of you own poets have said. We are his offsprings. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you God for this morning. Thank you for everybody that's here. Thank you God for all the blessing. That you're giving us every single day. Thanks for this beautiful morning. And. We worship you, and we are so thankful to be here. Thank you, God. and As uh, Pastor Dave brings the message, you bless his heart, and uh, let us receive what you have for us this morning.
1: In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Magdiel. Good morning, Renew. So glad you could join us. And if uh, you're a guest here, welcome. We are continuing uh, in the series called Our Best Foot Forward, uh, where we go through the vision and identity of our church. Um, and then uh, later on in the next eight or so weeks, we're going to talk about what that means, the implications for that, how we respond to who we are in God. And um, so the last couple of weeks, we've gone through a couple of uh, two of the three ma- main values. Um, the first one being that we're relational and authentic community where everyone belongs. But let me just read our whole dream statement. We are renewed by God for the renewal of our neighborhoods. We are relational and authentic community where everyone belongs. We're passionate about justice and mercy, particularly regarding the marginalized refugee and immigrants. And we are a church that values diversity. We desire to be multi-ethnic, intergenerational, and we encourage the diversity of backgrounds in all that we do. Our dream is for all in North Seattle and beyond to experience the grace and mercy of God and to be transformed into the image of God. We believe we are blessed to bless others, so we strive to bless the greater North Seattle community in tangible ways. And today I'm gonna be focusing on that third value of, uh, we are a church that values diversity. And uh, thank you, Miguel, for reading our scriptures. Yesterday I was uh, playing Ultimate, for a long time in the baking sun, and it's it's kind of ironic. In Seattle, we complain when it rains in the winter, and then when it gets sunny, we get excited. But then after a while in the sun, you hear Seattleites starting to say, "It's too hot. It's too hot to play outside," and so you can't have it uh, both ways. Uh, but it was nice. It was nice weather all all weekend. And uh, after playing two games, uh, our team decided to go out and. Eat and fellowship. um, uh, Get some beverages, get some food, and uh, we're trying to decide. And as people are deciding, you like stand there for a long time, like, what about this? What about this? And no one has like a firm kind of uh, opinion. Um, And then I said, I'm tired of going to like like taverns or bar and grills, getting hamburgers and whatever. Can we just? We're in the central district, right? Let's go get some ethnic food. People were like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah." But we ended up going to a bar and grill, or what I thought was a bar and grill. And I was like, "Oh man, come on!" But the place we ended up going was awesome because it had, you know, Caribbean sandwiches, Asian food, seafood, and all of the stuff. And I was very at the end, I was very impressed. But imagine a world where the table. And the things said at the table, because we talk about the banquet table. We've talked about the banquet table of God the last couple of weeks a lot. And in, as a church, we practice communion. And one of the images surrounding communion is the table and coming to the table and welcoming other people to the table and welcoming as many people as we can to the table. And, but imagine a table with only one kind of food. That's just like one color. Like... I imagine broccoli, right? If it, the table was just green stuff. And every day you sat at the table, the table was green. It was green, it was green, it was green. Broccoli, broccoli. And no matter, you know, the host would say, it's broccoli, but here are some condiments. Here are some sauces, right? Here's this. And the sauce is green, right? Everything, the next dipping sauce is green. And you're like, Everything is just green. This is what? A boring table. I can't live this way. I can't eat this over and over day after day, this table of greenness, right? Most of us, I mean, we have our particular um, appetites, right? And most of us, um, well, we have our particular appetites. uh, And some of us are more adventurous than others when it comes to trying out food. Some of us can eat, liver or go into a new country or a different type of restaurant and eat something we've never eaten before and it's fine we actually like those experiences some of us have kind of a you know we have a path that we like to go we know the things that we like we don't like certain things we have our preferences and that's fine um but we most of us would not eat one thing every day of our life right I mean, what would you eat if you had a choice? You could only eat one thing for the rest of your life. What would you choose? I would probably choose rice, right? Um, But I can't just have rice every day. I need different things to accent that meal. And so as you take this image um, of the banquet table, of God's table, um, the beauty and the fullness of God's table... Um, is not is more reflected, Is more vast. Is more kind of full of seasoning, full of life, full of flavor. The more types of food, the more flavors and seasonings, the more colors that you bring to it. And so that brings us to the core, the heart of this value um, of we are a church that values diversity. Like God's glory is best displayed through the diversity of his children. God's glory is best displayed through the diversity of his children. And what we see from the Genesis creation passage is we see a God that's relational, right? God is relational. He's, if we're looking back as theologians and looking back, God is Trinity, right? Three persons in one, Um, when he creates, he starts off with the phrase, let us, right? Let us create this and this. Let us create this and this. In that us-ness, God in his, in his character, in of, of himself is relational, right? The Trinity is relational in and of, of itself. So he can't help but be like in his creation to collaborate in his creation, right? Let us do this. It's not this guy, the CEO, CEO, sitting on his chair in the sky saying, "I'm gonna make this because I want to." Right? It's let's let us do this. Let us collaborate um, in this creation making. So God is relational; He's Trinity, um, and in turn, we are created to be relational. We are created as relational beings. It's good. For us to be relational, right? When we look at God's creation of humanity, of Adam and then Eve, what's, what, what does he notice? What does he say um, in creating Eve? He says, it is not good. After all this stuff of saying, it is good, creating on the first day, creating on the second day, creating on the third day, and saying, now this is good, and declaring his creative work as goodness, God says... It is not good for Adam to be alone, right? It is not good for Adam to be alone. And let me create um, another person, right? Let me create a helper, a partner, right? And so in this way, uh, there's a relation, relationship building happening. There's relationality. So we were created to be relational. It's good for us to be together with other people. It's good for us to be together with one another. Um, And it says God created humanity, God created them in his image, male and female, God created them, right? So I can't say as David, a male pastor in 2017, that I am the pinnacle and pure reflection of God's image right me and myself I am if you imagine God right when people imagine God they see a picture of me it's not like that right it's God created them male and female he created them in his image right no one person has the monopoly no one group has the monopoly No one gender has the monopoly on the fullness of God's image of who God is. Amen? And and that's what I see when I read this, when I read creation. The other thing that you see in the Genesis accounts is the mandate. God gives a mandate to people uh, to spread out, to fill the earth and multiply, to be fruitful and to multiply. And in this is naturally not... Emotion towards going inward, right? Hunkering down and like gathering your resources, saving things and like picking one spot in the garden. And be like, this is my spot. I'm gonna hold this and keep everything out. I'm gonna stay here and I'm gonna be safe and I'm gonna have everything, right? Do you see that? No, God's mandate is go, go out there. This world is vast. This world is humongous, it's big. Go and make kids and eat and work and spread out and be fruitful and multiply. And just as a side note, when you look at the Genesis passage of go, be fruitful and multiply, go out into the earth and kind of like the Great Commission, right? Go out and make disciples of all people in the world, right? Or Jesus to the disciples uh, before his ascension, right? You will be my disciples, right? and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem to Judea and all of Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That same kind of desire God's heart is that we would spread and be faithful and be fruitful and to multiply. The counter to that, I think we see an example of in Genesis 11. It says, now the people said to one another, Let us, there's that let us, right? The same phrase that begins God's words of creation. Human beings co-opt that creative force and say, Let us make a name for ourselves, not let us be faithful to God or make a name for God or give worship God or give glory to God. It's let us make a name for ourselves and build this tower, right? So that as high as we can to the sky. And so that's the inverse of that mandate to be fruitful and to multiply. The inverse is to gather resources to yourself and build a monolith, right? Build a tower to God, right? Hunker down in one place and become as powerful as possible. And what happens? What happens? What is God's response? God's response is actually to mix their languages, right, and scatter them. And this is how a lot of, some people wrongly say that this is a curse, right? And in that, saying that it's a curse, it's actually saying like, oh, so nations and languages and culture is a curse, right, that God places. I think it's actually a grace that makes sense. God puts a grace upon people, and they spread out. And this is kind of how the writers of Genesis explain how nations and cultures are formed. They spread out and become the nations of the world, essentially. And so this is God's grace, it, and it's a way of reenacting, right? A plan to, to kind of, um, in spite of humanity's sin and rebellion, to continue his plan of, oh, scatter, please scatter please go out and multiply and fill the earth Um, so God mixes their languages and they continue uh, the motion to fill the earth and multiply and I think in this the cultures and languages and the nations, the tribes and the tongues display God's great name Instead of one nation, one tongue, one tribe, saying, let us make a name for ourselves and build a tower. Are you with me? Amen. Right? The next thing I want to talk about is that we are family, right? We are family. We are family. I will go so far as to say all of humanity is family, Right? If we are made in God's image, that means God's a parent, right? God's a father, God's our parent, and we are, we are his offspring. We are his children. So if all of us are, are children of God, then we are all connected, right, to the same God. And so we are all family. We in this room are all family with all our diverse backgrounds, economic, cultural ethnic backgrounds, we're all family, right? We're all family under God. And we're all family with the people out there, people we haven't met, strangers. We're all family um, here in Western Washington with people who are from Eastern Washington and live in Eastern Washington. We are all family with people from other states. We are all family with people who are from other nations, right? So we are family. And when you look at this, I think this Acts passage is awesome, right? And usually uh, Acts 17, 26 through 28, Paul in Athens um, kind of philosophizing with the philosophers um, in Athens. Uh, I remember using this for evangelism purposes, like this is how you should talk to non-believers or people who think differently or have a different worldview. And it kind of breaking it down, and like, how does Paul like draw in people? But I never saw it uh, with regards to uh, us being family and kind of the mosaic of God's kingdom. But that that phrase, "We are His offspring," when Paul says, "As some of your poets have said, we are your offspring," it just points towards that vision um, in Genesis one, right? From one person. God created every human nation to live on the whole earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their lands. God made the nations so they would seek him. God made nations so that they would seek him. Right? Let's just imagine, like, God up there hearing the praises of people, right? But it's not just broccoli praise, right? It's the praise of nations, right? And, and that's, that's also the vision in Revelations. Every tribe, tongue, and language, worshiping Jesus, worshiping God, right? The nations are seeking him, right? And, and God gets to hear all of that praise, all of those distinct styles and languages, Right, praising him, praising him, so that the nations would praise him. Um, perhaps even reach out to him and find him. Perhaps even to reach out to him and find him. This tells me that, you know, obviously there are people that don't know God, right, out there. Or there are people that, are reaching and seeking after something and maybe don't have a name for this God, right? Or haven't kind of said, oh, I got it, right? But it tells us also that God has a heart for people that seek after him, right? And God has a heart for people who are near from him or far from him, right? Perhaps these nations who don't, these people who don't know him, will reach out and find him. In fact, God is never far away from any of us. Because we are family. Right? And he's our father. He's never far away from any of us. In God, we live, move, and exist. As some of your own poets have said. We are as See, Paul is trying to make a connection with the people. And in context, the background is Paul is traveling in Athens. He comes to their places of worship or the temples. And uh, the commentary is that in Greece, in Athens, the Greek people as well as foreigners... They like to come and argue all day about different ideas, and they especially like new things. It just says they like new things, right? We like new ideas. We like new thoughts. Hey, what are you saying over there? Come here. Argue with us. Debate with us. What is this new philosophy? And Paul is contextualizing the gospel, right, of Jesus Christ, um, contextualizing in in the place that he's at with these people, right? And he's making a connection. He saw an altar on the way, an altar to an unknown God. And he takes the opportunity to say, that unknown God, actually, that God is very near. Is not an unknown God. A God who desires to know you, know all of us. And he wants to make this connection, he wants to uh, connect on a on a human level. Like we are all from the same God, we are all family, right? And this is the connection uh, that Paul is desiring to make. We are his offspring. No one is far away from God, uh, and Paul is making a familial connection, right? And sometimes people do feel so far away. Isn't this the case? I think uh, among Christians or in a church, sometimes for me, right, people with a different political stance or political belief who are Christian actually feel so far away, right? We draw the, we make these groupings, we make these lines. And it's so, it's so different that I can be like, what? You like You believe in the same God? You believe in the same Jesus? What? How can this be? It's like a whole different religion, right? Are you reading the Bible? They're like, are you reading the Bible? Or are you reading the Bible? It's like, what? What's happening? Sometimes people feel so different and so far away, right? Some of us grew up in neighborhoods that are way different than other people in this room. And if we were to visit our friends and family's neighborhoods in this church that they grew up in, we'd be like, it's so far away from my experience, right? You are so far away from me. And yet, we're in this place, worshiping the same God. We call one another family, right? We worship together. We love one another. We do community together. Some of us build deep relationships with one another, even though in our backgrounds, we're so far apart, right? That's because of the Holy Spirit and Jesus' love, amen? Amen. This is the mosaic of the kingdom. Let's just go through scripture a little bit. Um, I don't know if you guys could volunteer to look through your Bible or your iPhone or whatever. I have Isaiah 56, six through eight. Anyone, anyone? Yeah. Go ahead. God is saying, "I will gather others to them, besides those that have already been gathered." Right, and basically I, in Isaiah, God is saying, right, "It's not just Israel; it's not just the people of Israel, um, culturally, ethnically, that make my people, my covenant people." Right, and it was it, it, throughout Scripture. You see this like, invite the foreigner in invite fight the stranger in and as they worship alongside us as they come before me they are my people as well um this this uh this passage in isaiah is also quoted by jesus do you remember when when he comes into the temple and overturns the money changer tables and people selling things in the temple and he says you shall not make my father's house, a den for robbers and thieves, is my, and he quotes Isaiah, this is a house of prayer for all nations, for all nations. People were coming into Jerusalem to make their sacrifices, to pray to God. Um, whether they were outside um, of Israel or from uh, Gentile God-fearers from uh, lands far beyond, they were coming, but sometimes that access was thwarted, thwarted by um, what do you call it? The consumerism, right? The economy that they were setting up and they're selling sacrifices, selling doves uh, at high prices. And that access was uh, to, for all people to come and worship in the temple, there, were, there was a lot of obstacles, right? And it makes you wonder what are the obstacles that we put up as a church for people to have access free access to worship God. Uh, Revelations 7, 9 through 10. And then someone else, Acts 10, 34 through 35, just so we can get it going.
0: After this, I looked in there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the land. They were wearing white robes and, wear, and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a
1: loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne in the land. Yeah. That image of everyone from every tribe, tongue, and nation in white robes holding palm branches. If you remember, when's the last time we saw palm branches, right? Jesus entering Jerusalem um, before his death, the triumphal entry, right? And people were saying, Hosanna. Hosanna to the highest! And laying down their palm branches, as he rode on a donkey, like an ancient king, coming. And so, in Revelation, the vision is that that kingship is sealed, right, to all nations, right? and everyone is proclaiming salvation is from this Lamb. Right? Every in in many languages and tongues. Okay. Acts ten thirty four through thirty five.
0: I really am learning that God doesn't show partiality to one group of people over another. Rather in every nation, whoever worships him and does what is right and is acceptable and does what is right is acceptable to
1: him. Right. And we know that's not the way of the world, right? The world shows partiality to some people over other people. That's just life. That's just injustice. That's just how the world works, right? How we deal with resources How we deal with power, right? One one group usually finds a way to privilege itself over another group. Or one is more acceptable than another group. But here, Peter has just had a vision from God. And what was the vision? The vision was a giant sheet coming down from heaven. right? And on the sheet was all the unclean animals, which Jewish people would be like. You can't eat it. God said, unclean, unclean, unclean. You can't eat it, right? And, um, and in the dream, God says, kill and eat. Kill and eat. It's okay. Go and eat. And, and we know that, uh, this is Peter, right? Did I say Paul? Peter sees this. Um, and then we know Peter and Paul's interaction. There's kind of a handoff in Acts. The uh, first part is Peter in the church in Jerusalem and then the second part of Acts moves towards the ministry of Paul and the transition of the witness to to the Gentiles right and basically this vision is God telling Peter it's okay right shift posture shift right make a posture shift I'm opening up the gospel to the Gentiles and that which you thought was unclean is clean, right? Kill and eat. Go. Open up this new pathway. Right? And Peter, seeing this, realizes oh man. Right? God doesn't show partiality. God doesn't see this, this people and say they're better than this people or they're more righteous or they're more my people than this other group. Right? But it's what? Those who worship Him and do what is right and acceptable to him. Those who worship in spirit and truth. Again, you hear kind of the resonance with John chapter 4, the woman at the well, right? Where Jesus says to her, there's a time that's coming and is now here when all believers will worship in spirit and truth. It won't matter if you're Samaritan or you're Jewish, right? True worship is worshiping. And spirit and truth and so Peter is recognizing this and he's having a paradigm shift um, and realizing that God again the call and the mandate and the thrust of the kingdom is to move out right into the world and be fruitful and multiply and not hoard not hoard the gospel not hoard the truth not hoard religion to one group but to let it go and move out. And today, what, do you guys know what today is in the church calendar? Yes! Who's wearing red? Okay, we're, we're, not, we're not really into that. but you, A lot of times in a lot of church traditions, people wear red on Pentecost Sunday. This is Pentecost Sunday to commemorate uh, Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. When the, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised... Uh, during his ascension, comes, right, in a mighty wind and fire, and, and the people are blessed by the Holy Spirit, and they begin the apostles begin to preach, and all the people who are gathered from far-off places in Jerusalem, because it was the time of Passover, they begin to hear the gospel in their own tongue, mother tongue, right? and the Holy Spirit is doing this, and again, we see a reversal of Babel, right, Because of the Holy Spirit, people are regathering, right, around the word, around the gospel. Uh, But that regathering is not because of the power of people or power of people saying, let us make a name for ourselves, but whose name is proclaimed when these people who are scattered from different nations come together and hear the one single word and recognize it in their own tongue, right? It's God, God, right? They say, whoa, the wonders of God's works, the wonders of his hand." And people say, man, what's going on here? This is a miracle, right? And God did this miracle. And it's interesting, the miracle doesn't come in the erasing of different languages, right? It wasn't like this one, monot- right? Let's pick broccoli language, and everyone will under- all of a sudden understand broccoli, No, right? Right. That proves to me that the mixing of languages wasn't a curse. The mixing of language was the grace and the gift because that, that gift remains. It's just that the miracle is the apostles are just speaking, maybe in their own tongue, but people understand it in their heart language. Amen? Right? In their heart language. And this leads me to the Holy Spirit. In scripture, in church history, in Christian history, where the Holy Spirit is moving, when there have been charismatic movements and Holy Spirit movements in history, right, power becomes inverted and the norms of the empire become flattened. So by empire, I mean the way of power, right? In Jesus' days, it was the Roman Empire. Right? In Moses' days, it was Pharaoh in Egypt. In our days, whatever, name it. I'm not going to name them um, But power, right? The, the monolith building, the tower building, becomes flattened, right? And this is what happens when the Holy Spirit is moving. Power is inverted, and the norms of empire are flattened. As in the prophet Joel, old men see visions, Children prophesy, the poor are uplifted. people are healed and transformed. women prophesy, lead and preach. Um, the lamb and the wolf dwell together. That's an image from Isaiah of the peaceable kingdom. The lamb shall lie down with the wolf, right the infant with the viper right the things that are at at odds with each other, or that are dangerous, it's all of a sudden made safe and can come together. Right, when the Holy Spirit is moving, gifts emerge from the community. Like, whoa, that person can do what? That person's saying what? Like gifts begin to emerge that we didn't know were there. Right? Growth happens. Transformation happens. Things happen that no one can say, oh, that pastor did that. Or because we structured things in that way, that did that. Right? Or this or that happened. It's because God did it. And it's clear because it's exponential and it's cray-cray. It's like, whoa, how did that happen? Right? Just imagine the community in Acts. They're like, and the Lord added to the number daily. And 5,000 were added to their number that day. God added this to their number that day just because, you know, someone said something about the gospel and people were cut to the heart and convicted. I bet the community acts, they started off afraid and huddled in a small room waiting for Jesus and the Holy Spirit and all of a sudden, boom! Right? And they're like, whoa! Could you imagine if next Sunday, like, it was like 70 in here. And then the next Sunday, it was 140. And then 300. And then we're like, we got to go meet in the gym. And we, we had no explanation for it. Like, where are these people coming from? Where, where did we be like, God, right? Clearly is it David, Pastor Dave. Right? God, the Holy Spirit, he's doing something. And when the Holy Spirit is moving, Right? People's voices are heard. And languages and tribes and tongues and nations are represented. Have a seat at the table. Amen. So I'm going to close w- with this. How do we do mosaic ness? You know, uh, and I want us to brainstorm this. So, like, break up into groups of two or three practical ways. Our church or the church can practice mosaicness, right? Can be in line with kind of the heart of God and be in line with the idea that God's glory is best displayed through the diversity of His children.